as we're continuing our series called Chasing Sanity, our message for the morning is coming from the book of Romans, Romans, the 13th chapter specifically. And as you're making your way there, um, I just want to thank God that he blessed us with another day, for this is the day the Lord has made, and we ought to rejoice and be and be glad in it. I'm glad you know it. Now I want, you to see, I want you to show it because God has been good to you. Uh, and would you just help me? Take, I said, you caught it. You caught it. You caught it. You caught it. You got to show it. You got to show it. And to all of our first graders, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles for the first time. It's good that you all have that. Um, and I'm so excited for you uh, as you have your brand new Bible and that you'll be looking uh, in the book of Romans. Your parents can help you find that just in case uh, you haven't been able to find it, find it. But every Bible, for the most part, has this page in the front of it called the Table of Contents. And there's nothing wrong with going to the table of contents to finding uh, the book that we'll be in on today. That's the book of Romans, um, beginning at the 13th chapter. First verse, God's word declares, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, an avenger. You caught that, little ones? Yeah. All right. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Verse 1 again says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to speak to you with this passage, um, with this thought in our minds. Our place in politics. Our place in politics. Bow with me. Father, here we are. Once again, we have sung worship unto you, praising you for your goodness, because you and you alone are worthy of the praise. And we thank you that you've blessed us to be once more on sacred ground, where we can look at your sacred word and have our hearts stirred and our minds transformed by the truth of your word. Now help us that we are receptive soil for the seed of your word. Father, that we might see you that you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is a place for you. It's, it's about that season now, you know, in our, our context in society. 
Um, the practice has been as old as the founding of our nation, and that is uh, our democratic process and, and voting. And the time comes where, where you get in those long lines at the polls and you uh, exercise your right. You should exercise your right. You should exercise your right to vote. And you get in those long lines at the poll. You get your, your number in hand. And then there you go, Greg. You, you're, you're making your way to that voting booth and you open the curtain and you close the curtain, and now it's you, the machine, and a host of candidates, most of which you don't know and probably don't even remember uh, the advertisements, but you, you see all the choices. And along with those choices are choices on ordinances and taxes and, um, and other things within our society. And so you're making the choices before you cast a ballot, but it seems as though it's just you behind the curtain. The truth is, Dr. Al, you know it, you're, you're not by yourself. Because for those who are believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit is also with you behind the curtain. And when we are sensitive and obedient, he will guide us in the decisions that we make, Lee, behind the curtain. Because God has an expectation of every believer. I want you to get this. Followers of Christ from every platform ought to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. Followers of Christ in every season, every setting, every platform ought to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Uh, I, hope, I hope I got a few of you understanding that, because if you are a Christian, by right what you're saying is that Jesus is doing the leading. If you are a Christian, a.k.a. Christ follower, means that Christ is doing the leading and you are doing the following. I hope you're catching this. So I have a few questions to ask of you. Uh, really just two pertinent questions that I heard uh, Pastor Andy Stanley ask his congregation, and it was, it was so relevant to our conversation today that I wanted to ask you the same question. Considering that Christ is Lord, are you willing to evaluate your, policy, your politics, your, yeah, your politics, are you willing to evaluate yeah, your, your politics through the filter of faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? I'm not hearing any answers. Oh, you thought these were rhetorical. No, I said we were having a conversation. Here's a second question for you to consider. Are you willing to follow Jesus when following him creates space between you and your political platform or candidate? Hmm? Because I find something very interesting, particularly as I evaluated our last political season and the highs and lows as we enter into this next season. There were some strange terms that came through the media, Susan, that really grabbed my attention. I, I grappled with these, casts because it just really arrested my attention. I, I saw things like uh, Democratic Christian, Republican Evangelical, right-wing and left-wing conservative Christians. That bothered me. 
I don't know if that bothered you, but that, that, that bothered me. Now, listen, I, I know. I, 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 I say politics, and immediately I have some pulpit sensitivities because I know that there are certain people. Uh, it's not certain. Most of y'all in here. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, politics is a weighty matter, and, 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 and so, so I get it. But it bothered me because anything that comes before Christian modifies the word Christian, which means then that it has more control over the Christian than the Christ, Christ has control over the Christian. Because the only word that should come before Christian is faithful. I hope you get this. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the first through the second verse says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. That we're not democratic Christians. Now, you may be a Christian who happens to vote with the Democratic Party. You may be a Christian who happens to vote with the Republican Party, but never let it be said that you are a Republican Christian because that means you're taking your cues from the Republican Party instead of Christ your Savior. Come here. I'm just trying to help you understand something. We are called to be followers of Christ. So everything we do from the platform to the polls ought to reflect our commitment and loyalty to Christ. Yeah, our loyalty. That's what this is really about. Because when we read Romans, the 13th chapter, uh, there is an expectation that's given to the believers. It's given to the believers uh, in the text. You see, it says to the saints at Rome. It's given to those believers. So it's written also to you and I. And the expectation is, first of all, that we must understand that every governing institution has been put in place by God. I didn't didn't make this up. It's right there in your Bibles, that God instituted it, that God uh, put it in place. It says, for for there is no authority, verse 1, except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So he goes on and describes how we are to be subjective. We are, are to be honoring. We are to be uh, obedient to the governing authorities that are over us, those authorities that reward the good and bring punishment to the bad. Now, I want to qualify this for a moment because you have to understand that this text is written in ideal circumstances. It is saying that the government that does this should be honored by believers. A government, any governing institution that rewards the good and brings punishment to the bad should be honored by believers. That if anyone is to be the best citizens of a society... It ought to be, y'all getting quiet on me for a moment here, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. It ought to be the church. It ought to be those who make up the church. But the reality is, oftentimes, uh, we find that government is flawed because government is led by some flawed people. Don't look at anybody right now uh, and don't even say anything. Just listen to me for a moment here Um, because we're not trying to cause any uprising in here. I'm just trying to tell you the truth that there, there, there is no perfect government outside of one that exists not on the world's platforms. We're going to get that in a moment. Um, but the government can be flawed, and sometimes government can come up with some flawed, sinful uh, standards 
by which the church must stand against. Don't miss this. I really want you to get this. Because the reality is God has called us that any time the government, I'm not saying our government is doing this currently, but if they are or if they were to do it currently, where the government will come against your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have a holy responsibility to stand for Christ, even if that is contrary to the government's stance. Okay, you're not with me just for a moment. Let me go ahead and work. Um, because it was a church that took the lead. Let's back up in history just for a little bit, because when women were not given their rights, uh, it was a church that took the lead to say that women were, were, should, should have equal rights. It was a church that took the lead when segregation was rampant throughout the world, or even before segregation, when slavery was rampant throughout the world. It was the church, it was abolitionist Christians who took the lead and said, that's not right when segregation happened. It was the church, Dr. MLK, a pastor of a church, along with other civil rights activists, took the lead. The church took the lead and said, no, what the government is sanctioning is not correct, but this was what the Lord has said, and we stood on the Word of God. In like manner, the church should take a stand. Now, I see some of you right now because you thought that the subject was going to be about politics. No, ooh, you got that wrong. Every time we open this book, every time we turn in the pages, the subject is always about God. And it is God's expectation of God's people and how we're to respond in a political arena, how God expects us to respond is the objective of our lesson today because God has placed you in various circles and circumstances for one reason and one reason only, and that is for you to represent him. I hope you're in here. I hope you get this, that everywhere God puts you, he puts you there so that you might be in place to represent him. Sometimes he will put you in some dark, dismal places because he needs light to shine in dark places. And you know what? One of the dark places sometimes that God will send believers in is right there in the government. And I am one who believes that, our, that we should vote Christians in, that Christians ought to be making an impact in the government. We need Christians in Congress. We need Christians on committees. We need Christians in the White House. We need believers to be in those places. And that's why we ought to pray for those who are in those places that they make the impact that God has called us to make as believers. Because we are to, to impact the world. But understand that as we navigate the political arenas that we find ourselves in, loyalty to God must govern our lives. Your loyalty to God must always come first. Regardless of what is trending, your, your commitment to God should always be your navigating compass. That no matter what everybody else is doing or is saying, that your loyalty to God ought to govern your speech. Your loyalty to God ought to govern your social media uh, thoughts. Your loyalty to God ought to govern your tweets. Uh, your loyalty to God ought to govern your opinion. In fact, truly, if God is Lord over your life, your opinion doesn't matter as much as his. Uh, I got three amens and a grunt, but we're going to make it here. 
No, no, because we operate from a different standard that God has called the church not to, not to operate by the world's standards or by what is trending or by what is popular, but he lifts us out of the world standard and brings us to a Christ-like standard and says there's a righteousness that we ought to live by, and it is the righteousness of Christ. That's why the, the Bible uses some strange language to talk about the church. It calls us aliens and, and exiles and strangers. Uh, why? Because we take our cues from a higher authority. Philippians, the third chapter, the 20th verse says, but our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Christ. In other words, Christ is our Lord. He makes the rules. He sets the standards. Okay, listen, I'm excited, all right? And we don't have long, okay? Um, I'm excited, and we don't have long uh, because, you know, the NFL starts. <laughs> starts today, and, and, uh, um, and, and, and I, am, I, I am unapologetic. I am a fan of an NFL team. Now, because I know where I am uh, currently in my context, I'm not going to say who it is, uh, but I, I will say it's biblical. It's biblical. It's, 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 it's in the text. It, 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 they, they're, they're in the text. Uh, I got a few out there that know what I'm saying. All right, so here it is. But if you watch the NFL, uh, when, when they kick off, if you're there, you'll realize you'll see two competing teams on both sides of the ball. They're competing uh, for, for ownership. They're competing for possession of the ball. They're trying to make yards. Uh, those are two teams that are coming. They're rivals against one another. It's really good to watch it because your blood pressure will go up and go down and your cardio will be in place. But um, it's good, good to check it out. You got two opposing teams. But, but Jimmy, there's another team that's on the field. See, they don't wear the same colors as the teams that, that are playing against one another. No, they wear different colors. They go by different stripes. They're called the referees. Referees don't have shoulder pads. They don't have helmets. They don't have the protective gear, but they do have a whistle and a flag. And with a whistle and a flag, they can control the tempo of the game. They can control, they can control who's in the game and who's out of the game. And they don't take their rule books from what's happening on the field. There's a headquarters in New York where they get their rules from that govern how they operate on the field of play. Well, come here, saints of God. You are not to be warring like, uh, can I say it in here? Like the Democrats and the Republicans, like the liberals and the conservatives. You're not to be warring. No, you're of a different team. You're of the team of Christ, which means our culture, our conduct, what we do ought to reflect the conduct of Christ so that we're speaking the truth. Whatever your persuasion is, we're speaking the truth because our cues don't come from what's happening down here. Our cues come from what he said up there. So our loyalty to God must, must govern our lives. And when Christ he came with three indisputable laws for those who follow him. If you follow the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ, you realize that there were three laws that he, he made sure that those who follow him would, would know, would know God's expectations. The first comes in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 to 31, when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. That's the first one. He said, the second is like an unto it. You shall love your neighbor. How? As you love yourself. And then there's a third commandment he gives us in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Which means then, we may disagree with one another uh, politically, but we must always love one another unconditionally. I hope, I hope you're getting this. That means that we can have one persuasion of politics on this side, one persuasion of politics on that. Oh, oh you didn't know that? Okay, let me help you for a moment here. Uh, we are a diverse congregation. Those of you who are listening online, and so with a diverse congregation comes all kinds of political persuasions, and it's not my job to tell you how to vote. I'm just trying to encourage you to vote, and when you do vote, uh, you ought to look for the vote that matters. I, I hope you catch this, because this is how I like to say it. What honors Christ the most is what gets my vote. I'm just telling you how it is. Our Lord of God must govern our lives. But secondly, our Lord of God must be reflected in our conduct. It must be reflected in our conduct. Because when we conduct ourselves as God has equipped us by the Spirit of God to conduct ourselves, when we exercise the fruit of the Spirit, when we, the body of Christ, do what Christ has called us to do, which is to love God and love one another, it ought to be seen in our conduct. It doesn't matter what sign my neighbor has in their yard. I'm supposed to, because I operate by a, a higher level, I'm supposed to be able to love them. It doesn't matter what, uh, what your, your coworker has on back of their vehicles or their bumper stickers. It no matter what they're, they're going by or what flag they're flying, you ought to be able. Am I talking to anybody? Yes, I am. I'm talking to you. You ought to be able to love them in spite of what they do because our loyalty to Christ is reflected in our conduct, not just in our words, not just in us coming here on Sunday, but when you're in, you are in difficult situations, when you're in those places where, where all of your nerves seem to be affected all at the same time, when, when, you're, when you're in a situation where, where you know that if it was up to you, you wouldn't be there, but God assigned you to be there. When you are in that situation and every other situation, you are expected by God to look like him, to act like he's called us to act, to be who he's empowered us to be, and that is to be followers of Jesus Christ. So our loyalty to God should govern our conduct. Proverbs 11, 10th verse says this way, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perishes, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. What is that saying? Is that when the saints of God do what God has called us to do, the city is blessed. That means that the city is blessed, our communities are blessed, when we stand up and we be the people God has called us to be. And so going back to the 13th chapter of Romans, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And so if the governing authorities are honoring God, if they're not standing in the way of your commitment to God, then you ought to be the best citizen 
I got one amen now. Y'all, I'm coming on this side for a moment here. Uh, you ought to be the best coworker. You ought to be, you ought to be the, the best member of whatever, whatever parties you are a part of because before you became a part of that party, you were placed in the family of God and you ought to act like you come from God's family. Because God has done so much for you. God has looked out for you. God has blessed you. God has protected you. Has God blessed anybody in this place? He's forgiven you. God has looked out. God has protected. God has healed you when you were sick. God has, God has never given up on you. And because of all that God has done for you, you ought to represent him. You ought to represent him by being loyal in your conduct. Because God, I mean, God has amazingly blessed us. Not only has he blessed us to be in a country where we're able to exercise rights and have a voice, and we should exercise that voice. Not only has he blessed us to be uh, in this country, in this context, um, but he's blessed us to know him. He's blessed us to be in his family. That for John 1 says, for all those who believe they were part of the family of God. Cassie, he has blessed us exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or even think. I know there's somebody in here who could say, you know what, I can testify to that. Because when, if you knew me before I was in Christ and you know me now, you can see the blessing of Christ all over my life. And so we should be willing to go the distance, no matter how difficult it may seem. It reminds me of uh, that 1968 runner, John Stephen Okawari. Uh, he was an Olympic runner for, for Tanzania. Uh, and I know some of you in America, you say Tanzania, but I've been there, so it's Tanzania. Uh, uh, and I should not pause like that, Cass. Uh, but but, but he, he, he was Olympic, um, he, was, he was running for the Olympics for his nation, and it just so happened that as he was running, he took a terrible fall. When he fell, he dislocated his knee and dislocated his shoulder, bruised his head, um, and he was in a bad condition. And though he was in that condition, he kept on running. He kept on running, even though the first place winner went in and the, the second to last place winner went in two hours before he ever got to the finish line, but he kept on moving, Greg. Right? He kept on going forward when people left the stands and the reporters were leaving the area because they thought all was said and done, but he kept on going. By the time he made it in, there was only a few scattered reporters around, and they couldn't help but, but see him hobble his way over the finish line when all the medals were already awarded and everybody was already left. And they asked him, why is it that you kept on running? Why is it that you didn't stop? Listen to what he says. He said, because my nation didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Come here, saints of God. God has saved your soul, not for you just to say, I'm saved, but for you to finish the race, that you put aside all the weights and sin that so easily beset you, and you represent Christ in your home, and you represent Christ in your job, and you represent Christ when you go into the polls, and you represent Christ in your community. Why? Because God has done so much to you that you can't help but want to represent him. Ah, oh, okay, okay, I told you, um, yeah, it's about that time, so here it is. Lord to God must govern your lives, and Lord to God must be your reflection in your conduct. But thirdly, your Lord to God limits all other authorities. Don't miss this, because the text says the authority comes from God. When Christ was there before Pilate in John 19 and 9, 
when Pilate was questioning him and he entered uh, Pilate's headquarters again, he, he says to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gives him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. I want you to get this, thanks to God, that we, we hold to a greater authority. We hold to the highest authority, and we take our cues from that authority. And that is the Word of God, because in the Word of God, in Matthew 28, after Christ died for our sins and was placed in a tomb, three days he came out of the tomb, he said to his disciples around in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, which means then that Christ has all the authority to overrule whatever you're going through. I'm done now. I'm getting a little happy here. That Christ has the power to overrule. He overrules sickness by touching a lame and a blind man. He's able to overrule some stuff. He overrules nature by telling a storm, peace, be still. Christ can overrule some stuff. He overruled wildlife. When Daniel was putting the lions in, he held the mouth of the lions closed. Why? Because our Savior has the ability to overrule some stuff. He overruled the nature of fire when Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the fiery furnace. They went in the fire, but the fire couldn't burn them. Why? Because they serve the Savior who can overrule some stuff. I'm trying to help you understand something. On Calvary, he overruled Satan, hell, and the grave. And when you confess Christ, he'll overrule sin in your life where he'll say, you're guilty. He says, I overrule that. They've been forgiven. He said, he should be in hell. I, I overrule that. He should be with me in heaven. Why? Because when you get in Christ, he overrules everything. So all I'm trying to figure out is, does Christ have your vote? Will you vote for him? Will you let him lead your life? Will Christ be the leader of your life? Will you come to him? Because when you come to him, you'll see that he has the authority. He has authority to keep showing to transform life. That means our life can be going one way. And he's able to turn our lives around. It means your life can be spiraling out of control. But when you turn your life over to Jesus, he's able to lift you out of whatever you're down in. Oh, I hope some of you get this here. Uh, that, that, you, that, that when you elect to have Christ as a leader of your life, when he's calling the shots in your life, he has a plan for your life. He has a plan to prosper your life. And when you walk with him, you'll never, I love this part, you'll never walk alone, which means he's with you every single day of your life. On good days, he'll be right there with you. On bad days, guess what? He'll be right there with you. When everybody else walks out on you, Christ will still be with you. Uh, Grandma said it this way, he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I'm his own, that when you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to you, and he will carry you through this life. And that's what he wants to do. Yes, we do have a holy responsibility as it relates to participating in the political process. Yes, we have a holy responsibility that we represent Christ, and on every platform we declare, we proclaim the lordship of Christ. We have a holy responsibility to help others know about Christ. And you have a personal responsibility to say yes to Christ being the leader of your life. I invite you to stand all over the building. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. 
At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.